Welcome to the Sanctum. Here we study the mysteries of Dungeon Crawl Classics and Appendix N. With your keepers of mysteries, Jen Brinkman, Mark Bruner, Bob Brinkman. Enter the Sanctum Socorum and be inspired. Welcome to the Sanctum Socorum and a special live episode. Today, we are deeply honored to be joined by the author, Michael Moorcock. Mr. Moorcock is the creator of Elric, Hawkmoon, Jerry Cornelius, and a, and a number of, of other beloved fantasy and science fiction creations. Uh, December, we'll see the release of his newest novel in the Elric Sock, The Citadel of Forgotten Myths. So let me start by introducing our guest of honor, and then I will catch you up with the keepers. Hello, Mr. Moorcock. Hi, how are you? Doing very well. Good. I hope everybody out there is having a good time. <laughs> I, I um, think I've, I've, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt. This is this, um, but I've got a great big sign in front of your face, which says this meeting is being recorded by the host ah. or participant. The account owner can what? Also watch this. <laughs> um, but I don't know how to get it off. There should be. I, I, yes. Is God in it? God, it'll do it. Okay, hang on. There we are. Yeah, that's it. Great. Thank you. And then in the meantime, um, I'm Keeper Bob, and with me, as, as always, is Keeper Mark, Keeper Jen. Hello, everyone. And returning is Keeper Dave. Hey everybody, good to be back. Thanks for letting me join this special show. Yeah, with a with a show like this, we had to we had to bring the whole team in. Uh, it sounds like I'm a, I'm a particularly a particularly mean wild animal. You need three keepers to. <laughs> <laughs> You've met Bob, I see. <laughs> it, it's one of those things. We just need to be prepared for all emergencies, Mike. Right, all right. emergencies. I, I, I should be all right as long as I keep drinking this, this special drink. <laughs> so, uh, what was that? Your wife called it uh, swamp juice. Swamp juice. It's um, it's a it's a what's it called? Liquid um, IV, and it's really just a a, a fast. Um, uh, oh, I didn't know. mean to pry it. No, no, the name of it. The name of it is uh, what I'd, I'd recommend tickled me. It's, it's not that bad. It doesn't taste that bad. And either that, or I've got used to it. But it's um, it's just for rehydrating. I mean, it's nothing, you know, for hydrating. Just for keeping hydrated, and it's just a kind of super hydration drink. I don't know how they can get more water into water, but there you go. They've found a way of selling it to us. <laughs> sure, wet water. Well. <laughs> Well, Mike, it has been over sixty years since the debut of Elric, and now we have we have the new book, The Citadel of Forgotten Myths. 
what can you tell us about this latest entry into the Elric saga? Well, it's closer to some of the earlier books than the later ones. It's a straightforward Elric, um, you know, beginning, middle, and end adventure. Um, it's probably from what um, people who've seen, you know, seen a bit of bit a bit ahead of time think that it might that in certain sections Elric might be a bit more mature and philosophical, but but the, the adventures apparently you know people find those just as good. So um, I haven't had a bad response yet, but that's not to say I won't have. <laughs> but um, so far so good. I mean, it's it really just takes Elric. It it takes a point before um, after Elric meets Zarazinia in. Uh, I think the first first book, um, or the first written book, um, he um, he then uh, and then there's, and there's a gap um, before they actually settle down. And Stormbringer starts, so um, it's just it's written just before the beginning of Stormbringer, um, and Elric uh, leaves Arazinia to. She says, in fact, basically, get out of the house. You're driving me crazy. Go and have another adventure. So, um, so he does, and it's uh, it's really a, an adventure in which he's sort of seeking his the roots of, of further seeking, really, but but in more detail, the um, the roots of the Melnibonean people and of the their dragon, um, whatever you call them, their dragon uh, brothers and sisters, um, and it explains more of of what what the fawn who are the dragons um and the melnibonaeans have in common and how they came about and so on it's 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 sort of background story but it's made mostly adventure i mean it's not it hasn't got it doesn't go into huge to my mind boring details um it it just I don't think any to, of the books could be described as boring. Well, I, I, I mean, you, that's because I'm because I'm trying not to make them boring. <laughs> but, um, and, 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 I, and I'm hoping that this one, this one is a bit more mature in some ways because you know I'm, I'm 82. I mean, it's, I'm not writing the same. I'm not the same person entirely that I was when I was 20. 20 um, when I did the first one, um, so. Obviously, I'm, you know, I'm, I've, I've got a few more thoughts, and Elric probably sounds slightly more mature than he does in the next book, but I can't really do much <laughs> about that. I, I try to keep that to a minimum and keep the um, the dragons and marbles and uh, and nasty swords to a maximum. You you had said at one point that Elric sort of represented like angsty late adolescence, so he's yes, well, he's, he's growing up a bit. Exactly. It's, it's the problem you have, you know, when you start that, that young. Um, the only person I know who really did it successfully in, in a series was Marjorie Allingham in her Gerald, uh, Gerald Campion, um, her Alfred Campion series of detective stories, where he matured and she matured at the same time. So the, the later books are, in fact, far, far deeper and better than the early books, which are still pretty good. Um, but she had him growing up, you know, and becoming older and older through the series, which was which made a you know which made more sense for her. She could actually you know, she could have been not quite the idiot that he was when he first began, which he was. And anyway, yeah, so it's it's difficult when you're dodging around like this. 
but that's the eternal champion anyway. You know, you're you're bringing in different themes, different stories all the time, and you're carrying it on a few, relatively few characters, and you obviously can't you can't do much about being older. Um, but what you have to try to do is just remember technically, uh, you know, in the in the technical writing of the of the book, you know, to keep it you know to keep it fast and uh, you know keep 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 it all interesting to 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 people. Mike, I have oh, a it's the cat! I heard this heavy breathing in the corner of the room, and it's the cat. <laughs> <laughs> She's 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 come in as an, as an observer. We might need that extra keeper. <laughs> I'll give her some of my my swamp juice in a minute. It'll calm her down. I have a question for you. How do you feel that from the first story about Elric to where you are now? How do you feel you've changed as an author? Has your style changed, or has your I guess the, your 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 process has it changed any at all from point A to point B? Well, I'm a much slower writer now, so I guess I'm slightly more contemplative. Um, but uh, um, I think I'm still basically, I still identify with Elric. I mean, I, I'm not like uh, Conan Doyle and Sherlock Holmes. You know, couldn't stand Sherlock Holmes at the end and was just doing it because of the demand. I actually enjoy adding to, well, the different cycles of the Eternal Champion, but particularly Elric. I mean, he's still somebody I can identify with. Um, and understand, of course, but I understand him a bit better now than he understands himself, which which you have to sort of pull back on a little bit and show it in terms of action and certain responses rather than, uh, you know, simple editing or whatever. I mean, it's, 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 it's not that difficult because I like the character so much. Um, I think if I was, you know, if I was doing this cynically, which I wouldn't do anyway because I, I don't have to and I don't want to. Um, I'd, I'd probably simplify them a little bit, but not a huge amount. There's there's a period there's a patch in the new book where, which is if you like a slowing down patch, which is meant. I mean it's it's a journey and it's meant to to have this sort of little um, bit in the middle. I'm a I'm. I hate to say this, but it's it's <laughs> at eighty two. I probably can. I'm a very good technician, and I know how to make books work technically. Um, if you know what I mean. I mean, I, I can. And these these were done. The first ones were done very early in my career, although I still had a lot of experience because I'd done a lot of comics before that. Um, and comics give you a very good discipline. I think particularly the English weeklies um, gave you a particularly good discipline in storytelling, in 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 producing the right dramatic moments, you know, and the right the right way of of keeping the reader interesting and the right way of ending something so the reader feels satisfied. And I have a f well from all the responses I've had, people say they're satisfied. <laughs> so that's all I can say, really. You know, I I I, I never know what how my books are going to be received. I got a great review. Actually, it's an old review. Um, somebody sent me uh, the other day, I put on Facebook the other day, um, which refers to one of my recent books as, I think, Meandering Drivel. 
Um, and more than that, I can't remember the rest of it. And as I said at the time, you know, people saying this is you know, a horrible band, this and that. And I said, if you've been grown up in the early days of fanzines, people were so much meaner than they are, um, at least in print, um, than they used to be, that you don't. You don't really take it very, very badly when people say things like that. I mean, I've had far worse said of my stuff um, by friends on, you know, in fanzines. Um, so it's, uh, but but anyway, that that that's you know that's the other side of the of the um, of the story. I, I I think well maybe it is meandering dribble. You know, I, I actually do take that sort of criticism fairly seriously, probably more than people who like it. You know. Um, I don't know whether that really answers your question, but but it, 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 it's it's technically how I try to do it. And I like, also ramble I, a lot. Mike, I was going to ask a question because um, one of the, while we're kind of talking about Elric, I got a had an opportunity to to um, purchase the Saga Press editions that came out. Uh, I think this last year, which are yes, omnibus uh, collections, yeah, yeah. and they have nice forwards by mm -hmm. like Neil Gaiman and you know a few other authors and and. One of the things that I, it caught my attention, I don't know if this is as part of the original stories, but uh, the dedication that's part of the the first book uh, or the the you know the kind of synopsis paragraph yeah, references yeah. inspirations for Elric as like Paul Anderson and Fletcher Pratt. Mm -hmm. And you also mentioned for obscure reasons, the three penny opera. and I, yeah, that caught yeah. my eye and I was like, what is the obscure reason? I, I was kind of curious about well, like, how did the three penny operas? I, I wonder that myself a bit because you know, again, I'm looking back a long way and I, I see that. <laughs> I think, well, leave it in. Um, um, <clears throat> I, I was a great fan of, of Breck. Still, am, excuse me. <clears throat> I still am. God, I need some more swamp juice. Excuse me. And. Uh, I think the spirit of the of the novel, the, the novel, um, <clears throat> just caught me. It caught me up. I like the I like the um, the way of seeing the as it were the outlaw as the hero. I suppose on a simple level that would be it. And I liked a lot of stories like that. I mean, I liked Lee Brackett's. I'm just rereading one now. Lee Brackett's um, Eric John Stark stories. Oh. <clears throat> Which were originally in Planet and and Thrilling Wonder, and uh, <clears throat> you know which were thought to be uh, even as as uh, pulps they were thought to be outside the uh, the pale you know um, in those days I mean astounding and and fantasy and science fiction were thought to be the the posh science fiction magazines everything out, out, out of that was just you know space opera and so on but I love that stuff I like I. I can't get on with astounding or fantasy and science fiction very easily, but I love planet stories and uh, thrilling wonder and startling, um, which in many ways I thought were more innovative and interesting than uh, than the uh, more sober science fiction stories. I like Galaxy actually when when that started to when Paul oh, well no and Gold well Gold's editorship and Paul's editorship, but Gold in particular was a great editor and. Did some, you know, he did Space Merchants and uh, um, Stars My Destination, which is which is the which is the story that got me reading modern science fiction as science fiction. I mean, I was reading science fantasy and Planet and Thrilling Wonder, but I wasn't really reading much straight science fiction. 
but the, the but Galaxy was you know it also did a lot of Philip K. Dick and people like that. It was that it was that time, and uh, which is of course still being regurgitated considerably on television. Um, so yeah, um, I've forgotten your question completely. I warned you I ramble, so you can you can you can, you can, you can come in with a whip and a chair anytime. And I'll stop. Grabbing. No, it's fine. I, it, I was just yeah. The the inspirations for Elric were kind of the the general question, and I think yeah, what you're yeah. Time. Well, is the main uh, the main of course straight um, um, influence on Elric was it was a was a was a detective story or a thriller story character called Zenith the Albino. Or Zenith the Albino in American. Uh, it's very odd. <laughs> anyway, um, and uh, he was a villain in 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 uh, the Sexton Blake Library, which was a a, a pulp series, uh, which I was a sub editor on uh, for some time, but had been a fan of before that. And I, like many of the readers, it was the villains I was, the, you know, the very melodramatic villains that I was more interested in than the actual detective. And Zenith was, was uh, um, well, he wore an opera cape all the time, which must have been inconvenient because he was also <laughs> climbing tall buildings a lot of the time too, hat as well. Um, but uh, he, he had the same kind of cynical attitude to the world. You know, he was an outsider. And so he did attract me. I think, I think, Basically, it's outsiders that attract me. I mean, it's not unusual for writers who already are sort of outsiders to think like that. Um, but yeah, that was that, that, those those were the influences. I mean, Anderson was a bit different because I read him. He came out the same year as uh, the first volume of Fellowship of the Rings, and I read him before I read Tolkien, and. When I came to read Tolkien after reading The Broken Sword, I was actually very disappointed. It, it lacked, to me, the epic quality that, that I'd found in Anderson. Mm. Um, it was his second book. He was still very much attached to Norway. I think he was Nor Norwegian. Um, and his family was from there. And I, he, I, think, he, I, don't think, I think he was born in, in Scandinavia. I can't remember. But anyway, he, he still had a lot of attachment for the place and the locales. And a few years later, as it happened, not because of the book, I, I also went to that part of, of Scandinavia and spent a long time there. I was mountain climbing, but I was doing other stuff as well. And, uh, and the resonances in Anderson are, for me, far more, far closer to the, the dark resonances of the of the uh the the great you know teutonic whatever you call them, norwegian scandinavian yeah. epics um so i was very satisfied with that and one or two other books as well henry treese was very good he was an historical writer though. and uh i think i could never really get on with lord of the rings after that because i'd got such a a strong feeling from from the anderson novel which he then went and ruined. I mean, well, not, didn't exactly ruin, but he spoiled it. He rewrote it and cleaned it up, and, and it lost some of its vigor because it was only the second novel he'd had published. I think he'd been publishing in, in, well, in Planet and Thrilling Wonder and so on before then. Um, but uh, I hadn't read him before then. I mean, I hadn't, I hadn't really found the pulps at yeah. that time, 54. Um, 
I'd only read that. I hadn't written really anything much except a couple of other things after that, which I really liked too. Um, I didn't like much of his earlier work. I thought it got stultified and, and sort of generic bound, which happens to a lot of genre writers. They they can't really, once they've kind of started in the genre, it's very hard for them to, as it were, overcome the, the genre well, um, habits. Mentioning mentioning genre writers, as as we're starting to get some questions in from the chat, um, and, and here's a here's a question that that I'm certainly curious about. Do you pay much attention to contemporary science fiction and fantasy these days? No, um, I never did that much. Um, I'm afraid to say I, I I didn't read. I couldn't read Foundation. I couldn't read any of the great. I couldn't read Dune. I couldn't read any of these sort of you know well-known science fiction novels of the day, or very many of them. It wasn't until Galaxy started to publish stuff that had a more contemporary, direct contemporary relevance. Sort of Philip K. Dick came out of Galaxy, essentially. Um, it's it, The writers who wrote for Galaxy were all doing the same kind of thing. They were, they were looking at society, they were looking at their own world, you know, and, and translating it into, into stories. Um, and I preferred that. I wasn't that interested in. I love science fantasy, you know, Lee Brackett and C.L. Moore and Fritz, well, Fritz Leiber did some, and and so on. But I just didn't get on with hardcore science fiction at all. So um, um, I've completely rambled off the question. I think have I? Well, let's, <laughs> let's follow that with um, who do you read? Well, I, I read um, pretty much anything, but. I don't read, I don't, I don't read um, detective stories. I like thrillers, but I don't like, um, and I don't read contemporary thrillers either. I've read very few of those. Um, Walter Mosley is the only detective story writer I really enjoy, and a lot of that is because of the strong grounding in in place that that that, that his novels have and time, of course, um, and and so I like him a lot. But um, I couldn't really tell you. In honesty, another thriller writer or detective story writer that I that I could you know after reading one I'd want to read another and that's some good people and good friends of mine too some of them uh, so I don't want to you know I, I'm not I'm not uh, I haven't got any prejudice against them they just don't they don't interest me. Um, well, we've heard that you don't like to read. Uh... Let me try that again. Go, uh, go we we've heard that you don't like to reread your own works either. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so I'm kind of curious how that worked with writing this new novel that fits between two others. Did you actually have to go through and reread no, something? No, not really. Uh, they're in my head. They are really in my head. Almost all awesome. of those. Um, when I've done uh, you know uh, sequels to books or you know trilogies or whatever. It's all in my head. It doesn't seem to go away. Um, I mean, it goes away after a while, but not not. Uh, Elric doesn't really, because I've I've been with Elric off and on much more than I've been with any of the other characters, except possibly von Beck, uh, who's anyway related to Elric. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I what I read actually is, um, well, as I say, when I'm writing, I read light fiction. That is, I, I'm rereading Lee Brackett. Um, great space opera stories, whatever you call them. Um, 
And I, I think of them science fantasy stories because they don't have much science in them. They do have a lot of fantasy in them. That's fair. And uh, uh, and and so I, you know, particularly the you know the more the further away we get away from Venus and Mars, you know, the more the more we know what fantasies they are. But um, or I'll read um, pulp pulp English pulp thrillers um, when I'm writing. But when I'm when I'm not writing, I tend to read. I suppose you call them predominantly canon classics. I mean, I I read Conrad, Henry James, you know, just straight older writers mostly and i've got a very um good library of of 18th 19th century writers so i can you know, i don't have to go out you wouldn't find them much in the local library anyway um but but i i tend to read as much as anything and it's a terrible thing to say for technique as much as anything i i think i'm i'm so much just a writer and not much else, um, that I read other people's work to see how they've done it. Um, that's part of the curiosity anyway, I think. And probably reading, I, I read, I read, I read um, pulp stuff, I think, as much as anything for plot, to remind me about plot and tension um, so, that, you know, so that I don't go wandering off in, or meandering off or whatever the guy said it was I did. Um, I, I tried to stick <laughs> stick to the subject. Um, depending on the book, you know, I, I, I tend to pick. Also, I invent a lot of techniques for specific books. So a book like Mother London, which is not obviously, is not really part of this conversation, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a, a, a straight novel, call it, um, is, is very carefully constructed on on a on a on a, a like almost like a twelve tone um, piece of music, although it's not um, it's not as unfamiliar in the style. And uh, whereas another series that I did about the Holocaust or the events leading to the Holocaust, the Piat series, is just one long um, like Wagnerian story where leitmotifs start fairly fairly obscurely in the beginning and then grow to larger motifs towards the end and so on, um, which is a, a classical, a, a truly classical way of you know, putting a book together. But, but I also use, you know, um, tend to use a lot of musical techniques, which might be partly why I don't read as much as I used to. I don't know. But really, I like writing. I don't, I, you know, I get bored. Very quickly, and <laughs> and I like to have a new a new book that I haven't seen before, and I don't know what's going to happen. I can't guess what's going to happen. And there are a lot of those those around. I mean, there are lots of good books around already written. I know that, but but uh, if I can't find one, you know, I tend to start thinking of doing another kind of book. I usually have about, I suppose, five to ten stories on the run. Some of them would be novels and some of them will be novellas i suppose and the odd short story well uh, another question from, from the uh, the viewers other than elric who is your favorite eternal champion protagonist to write i'm talking about how how you like having that next adventure well i think von beck i suppose is is the next one because he's he's more buried i can take him to different countries different times 
So I suppose it's from Beck, uh, from Warhound of the World's Pain. And uh, um, if I had any more to say about Hawk Moon or any more to say about Coram, I would, I know, say it because these stories are, you know, they're, they're either in me to tell or they're not in me to tell. It, I don't ever write for, I don't know, expediency. I, I have to have some sense of the story and the character needing to be told. And I get that with Elric all the time. I mean, I, I just announced Elric's my last, you know, Elric story, and I'm already, you know, making notes for a, for another Elric story. <laughs> so, so, so it's, it's I, and I don't really think like that with Coram because it ended very definitive. Well, so did Elric, of course. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, it just, uh, to me, they, the, the Coram and the Hawk Moons seemed to have natural, natural completions. I didn't really have any more interest in the characters. Elric, I still have a strong interest, and von Beck, I still have a strong interest in the basic character. So therefore, they have stories, you know, that that, that come about. I mean, at least in my head, if nowhere else, because um, I'm never going to write all of them. I mean, I, I, unless I get an extension, um, I don't think I'm going to be able to write all of them. Um, well, and then thinking of the Eternal Champion and Von Beck, it was I was just reading that uh, those are being made into or being developed for a series for. Uh, well, it? that's 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 the thing we're currently disputing. It's a Saturday, so my agent isn't really around. I was told to say nothing. I was told that I would be killed and the entire project would be dumped if I uttered a breath of what was going on. And then David comes on in Variety, which isn't exactly a, <laughs> an obscure place, and announces it. So what I've done is I, I've said that I can amplify what David says, but I can't say any more beyond what he's said in Variety. You know, I'll take his lead. Um, <laughs> that is, that's totally fair. We Plausible deniability of, of additional material. <laughs> totally understand. Uh, so anyway, that, um, it's really... It's, I can only say read read the variety piece because that's all I know has been said, and I don't know what else I can. I mean, I'm bursting to talk about it. Um, my wife keeps telling me off. You know, Linda keeps saying, you know, you can't say that. You're not allowed to. You know, and all that. Um, <laughs> but we definitely don't want to get you in trouble. Like that either. You know. So I mean, I'm I'm probably the the least protective, self protected person I I know. You know, I just. <laughs> I, I say anything, and, and I'm not with. I, I mean, I mean, horribly indiscreet. I mean, I can't be relied on to keep a secret. I'm not because I, I, I'm trying to pass it on because I forget it's a secret. I mean, it's, it's. I'm just not like that. I don't. I'm just not, not very good at keeping secrets, even if they're in my self-interest. I must say. <laughs> um, so, so at the moment, yes. Um, um, as David, David has said in Variety. Um, that he he does he and uh, um, and Dana do want to produce it. I've talked to them. Um, I'm very pleased with with their ideas. They're they're very similar to ideas I had when I was asked years ago. I was asked by John Goldstone, who produced the final program, which was a Jerry Cornelius um, novel, the first Jerry Cornelius novel, and John wanted me to do an Eternal Champion story. So I adapted um, two or three. Uh, 
eternal Chapman stories into one script because it's, you know, it's going to be a film. It never went anywhere. I didn't particularly want it to go anywhere. Um, but it, it was what it, you know, it was what it was. And this isn't that different. I mean, he, they, 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 they can, luckily, there are so many ways of entering the eternal champion story that they don't have to make any major, um, changes. They just have to select what they want to start the series off with. Um, so, uh, uh, all I can say is that Elric probably won't be the first first one, but it's uh, it, it's a series that can go so well because it's the same character going from story to story. Um, that that um, and luckily, you know, as I said uh, at the time, um, John Dacre started. John Dacre, the sort of as it were, eternal champion, living in our world or my world of whenever it was I started writing it. Um, was black. I didn't make anything about say anything about it. Yeah, I didn't make a big deal of it because there's no need to make a big deal of it because it didn't count in the story at all. Um, but because of that, it's it's gonna it might seem a bit like you know another Hollywood um, bit of fashion. You know, pick you know at the moment. Um, it, it's I, I don't trust Hollywood very much, and they you know they get fashionable. Um, they start sort of shoehorning really the wrong character, either male, female, you know, whatever, into the into a into a into another character, and it doesn't really work very well because the original resonances get lost that way. So I'm lucky in that in that with John Dacre, I don't I don't have to worry about about much getting lost. Um, if you wrote with because, the right resonance. Right, and and the and the um, the same with you know with women. I've I've got female, not too many, but I've got female champions as well. Ilian of Garathorn in uh, whatever the book was called, <laughs> or the Champion of Garathorn, um, and 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 others, you know, like in a person and and uh, who don't actually appear in very often appear in those books, but they're there. Um, so I'm. I'm really ahead of that, if you know what I mean. We don't have to start changing people's appearances, you know, just just because Hollywood is afraid they're going to, you know, not get enough people of of, of Asian descent into a story or whatever it is. I understand the motives, and of course, I'm all for the general the general inclusion, but I don't see any. I don't. It often doesn't work very well. I have an example in that one of the previous film developers for Elric, who um, they were very enthusiastic, but they, they didn't really know it very well, wanted to change Moonglum into a black girl who's an archer. And if there isn't a kind of stereotypical, typical image now of, you know, in Hollywood of that sort of character, I, I, I mean, it was just ridiculous to me. Um, and it was all done as it were, to it's sort of virtue signaling. It doesn't have very much substance. If the person had really been originally been a black character with you know and all of that in a context where it, it was important, then obviously it would be all right. But 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 a lot of the time I'm 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 sort of unhappy with with that current phase in Hollywood. A little bit cynical about it actually. Change for the changes' sake. Yeah. 
yeah. I mean, it's it's. I understand why they want to do it, and it's it's only fair to want to do it and all the rest of it. Um, but I, I don't I don't see that it's particularly helped a lot of a lot of stuff I've watched. Although I did like Foundation. I saw the beginning of Foundation. I thought it was very good. I really I love. I love the science fiction that I didn't like in books on television. It's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I've watched most of it. You know, I'll watch it all if they, apart from June, I'm still a little bit. I found the last June was so boring. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love the, um, the David Lynch one, that, um, but of course, a lot of people don't. But for me, it's like one great trailer. Um, you, you know, he doesn't bother to rationalize all this stuff and go on and on about families and this and that um, and the way planets work. Um, and and that's, he's cut out the stuff that I, you know, that I, 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 I like cut out. Uh, 2001, I, I mean, I was a good friend of Arthur Clarkson. I love Arthur. Um, and we got on very well. But I really couldn't stand 2001. And he was upset because Kubrick had cut out, um, you know, cut out a lot of his um, realistic stuff, his background stuff. He was in tears at one point about it. And I couldn't tell him that that was, I mean, I could have done with a bit more cut out. Um, <laughs> I just, I just, I just get impatient with rationalizations, I think, in, uh, certainly in. Um, but I didn't. I don't in the new TV stuff that's coming out. I really like it. Um, I liked all of it. So, um, well, I haven't seen all of it, but you know, I've liked most of it. Um, anyway, yeah. Um, let's have another question, or I'll just ramble sure. into the dust. Hey, Mike. I was going to ask because you mentioned Moonglum, and he's one of my favorite characters. Um, when I read the novels when I was a teenager, you know, I I I really dug Elric, but I also really liked. How Moonglum was a counterpoint to Elric. Yeah, he's the sort of chorus, he's the Greek chorus too. Yeah, <laughs> and and of course the very you know the the arc of Moonglum is very long, but also kind of very much parallels and you know yeah. he's there at the very end with Elric too. I you know just kind of curious, like similar to Elric, like you know where did where did you kind of get inspiration from Moonglum? He was my best friend, my very best friend and partner, writing partner. Um, okay. When when we worked for Fleetway together. Or when we were doing features, actually together, um, called Barry Bailey. He's, he was he was the great hero of the cyberpunks, who is almost unknown now. Um, but he's a superb writer, tremendous ideas, a great. But but he was ba he was very short. I mean, he was pretty much so small I could put him in my pocket. Um, <laughs> and 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 I'm very tall. And I remember going along. You know those shops that used to have mirrors in, in in them, so you could see yourself as you went by, like a dressmaker's mirrors, I suppose they were. And you got glimpses. I once remember getting a glimpse of myself and Barry, and we were like two different species. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, but he, yes, I mean Moonglum was very much based on Barry. Um, where, where does the name Moonglum come from? Is that um, well, it comes from it's made up. Okay, but I would guess the inspiration was Mervyn Peake who had a lot of names like that Got um, it. Uh, it, it isn't really typical of the names in Elric it's it's much more typical of the names in Mervyn Peake um, 
He's called Tristelune in in uh, in French, and I, I rather wish I'd put that in because it looks more exotic. In <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those names that always stuck stuck with me as a as a reader. It's yeah, like, well, yeah, and um, we can pronounce it. Mervyn Peake's full of great <laughs> names like that. I mean, he's just just full of wonderful, almost Dickensian names. Yeah, uh, he just had an ear for them. So, and I, and also he was in. I think he was in a story before I did Elric. I think there's oh yeah I did a I did a book which wasn't published till much later called The Golden Barge. Um and the picture on the uh Ace edition I think it was either Ace or Daw it was Don Wall one of Don Wallheim's companies um cuz Don liked Barry's stuff and published anything he could get of it. Um but it looks like almost looks like Barry except he's got a shock of red hair I mean it's big shock of red hair Barry just had brown hair, um, and uh, but it, it's it's actually quite quite strange to see this cover, which which by some <laughs> chance it might have been Michael Whelan. I forget who did the, you know did the cover, but it does look like Barry, and I don't think anybody had you know really knew it was supposed to be, but that that was um, that was a different character. Oh, which I, again I used later occasionally, um, but he was really the origin of Moongum, um, and. Yeah, I like him too. Well, I mean, you know, because Barry was a bit like that too. You know, he was he was a he was a good Greek chorus. If I got a little too fanciful, or, you know, um, he'd he'd bring it down to earth. Although he himself was probably the the had probably the best science fictional mind that I've ever encountered. I mean, he 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 wrote all kinds of stuff, but he was mainly. But the cyberpunks knew him as a, you know as a science fiction writer, and. Uh, he he could just think of extraordinary um, ideas. I mean, really, and, and put them into into you know in, into some kind of realistic context, such as what would happen if you if you actually did bore your way through from from the surface to, towards the center of the Earth. What would happen? And you know, and he has all sorts of strange things happening in that. Isn't it's just a well, it might be a novel now, but I think it was a short story when I read it. And it's just strange. I mean, nobody else. I used to call him the Voltaire of of, of of British science fiction. He looked a bit like Voltaire, and he had it was it was it was a mixture of the stuff I really like, which is a mixture of metaphysics and and modern physics um, put you know put together, in which the multiverse was, of course, exactly the same thing. Um, and Barry, actually, we, I didn't. Barry didn't come up with that idea, but I think Barry's inspiration might have helped. I mean, or just knowing Barry might have helped me focus and get get certain ideas into into shape. Yeah. Um, I miss him a lot. He died um, quite a while back, back now. We used to do a thing which you can still find on the net somewhere called. Um, Old farts, fireside talks, and there weren't many of them because he went and died. But um, but they, they they talk about all of that um, start how we started and and you know what what we were doing. Um, I recommend them really just to, so people could get to know Barry a bit better. Um, he wrote a he wrote a, his first uh, published novel was called The Star Virus. It may even have been an Ace Double. I can't remember, but. It was a. It was a, it, it was Don did it, and uh, William Burroughs wrote to New Worlds, which 
done the first, the short story version and asked if he could use it for his future future stories so um Barry Barry had a direct influence on on William Burroughs's uh, uh, not the Naked Lunch because he'd already done that, but but one or two of the of the later books after the Naked Lunch. So as a and and that's how we got to know Burroughs, which is a very strange way of <laughs> of it happening. Um, yeah. Anyway, it was yeah. Barry Bailey is Moon Gun, definitely. We've got a I've got another question from the viewers here, and and I think it's it's one that a number of people are are kind of wondering. Um, one of our one of our viewers is is tried writing because he works in a different field, but it comes very difficult for him. And was curious if you have any habits or techniques that they can use to develop themselves in that direction. They they read a lot of old literature and comics, but they're wondering what habits they might be able to develop. To uh, the best thing to do, I think, is to write a short story um, of about six thousand words. And the best advice I've ever had, apart from the example of Mozart, who also had a similar technique, is Lester Dent's master plot formula. And Lester Dent uh, was the guy who created uh, Doc, Doc Savage. Savage. And did he wrote thousands and thousands of, of 6,000-word pulp, pulp stories. And he produced this, and it's online. It's called Lester Dent's master plot formula. And it Show and it, it it shows the tensions. They don't have to be detective stories, of course. I mean, I, do, I never use them for detective stories, but he shows how to put the, the, the story elements together in four parts. And um, I think it's four parts. Um, and it's sort of beginning, middle, middle, end, as it were. The, the middle is usually you know longer than the end, but the the uh, the I don't know whether he. He came up with this, or I came up with this, because it's been a long time since you know I've been I've known this, as it were. Um, but I usually do introduction, in which all of the main characters appear. Um, development, in which you basically hit, in Lester Dent's master plot form, he says, "Hit your hero with a heap of trouble." Um, but that's not necessarily what you do. But you, you produce some kind of, you know, some necessary drama there. Um, and then I, I do a, a sort of um, a prefiguring of the ending, in which I kind of give all the elements of how the how the ending's going to work out. And um, and then I then I bring them together at the end. Um, but that's how I started really writing. I mean, that's how I started seriously writing short stories for adults um, with, with basically with a 6,000 word structure, which I then, once I'd got the hang of that, I could then go to a 12,000 word structure using the same structure, but with in more ambitious elements. Um, and then from 12,000, and this is really the truth. Um, it was a very conscious thing I did. Um, from 12,000, um, 15,000 maybe, to um, 24,000, which I think was the first eternal published Eternal Champion story. Um, and then 48,000, or for, actually it was 45, because I've split it into 15,000. Uh, the Hawkmoon books are all done 15, 15, and 15 per book. And then they echo the, 
the overall trilogy, which is four books, which essentially the fourth book is the coda in in in, in, in musical terms. Um, I think if you look to music and how you know, I'll, I'll just read a bit about how Mozart, what what a Mozartian um, string quartet is is like. You can you can get a very good idea if should you be musical. Of course, if you're not, <laughs> it's not so easy. Um, but most people, you know, listen to music, and and I have known some tone deaf writers who still manage to make more than a living, more than a good living. Um, um, so but, you're looking at the musical uh, movements, essentially. Yes, um, and 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 how, how it's brought together, and then you have to. You don't have to have, I mean, for me anyway, you don't have to have a necessarily rationalized ending where, like, the hero, the, the detective gets all the people into the room and say, you know, this is what happened, you know, first of all. Uh, it doesn't have to end on a major key. I got it. It has to end, yeah. It has to, it has to end on a satisfying note. It has, to has, it has to be resolution. And as a reader, you're, you, have, you must feel it's, it's been resolved. Um, and... You actually do that with each book in a in a in a quartet or a trilogy, um, and they they have to e- echo whatever musical form. I mean, this is just me, musical form you're 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 trying to use as your. And I used to, I mean, I I used to play music all the time. Um, I was going to but, ask, are you a scholar of music as well? No, not a bit. I, I'm self well, I'm self taught. I'm basically taught by a scholar. Who was a from close friend of mine called Lang Jones, who also wrote some beautiful stories. He was the um, assistant editor of New Worlds, um, but he trained as a as a musician. I mean, he was a concert pianist, and he he gave up um, any ambition to become a concert pianist when he realised that his fingers weren't long enough, his spread wasn't wide enough. Oh. to capture what he needed to capture in modern music. And he just gave, I mean, he could still do it. He, he, he played with incredible brio. I mean, he was just astonishing. Um, you know, you'd just show him a piece of music you'd never seen before and he'd just attack it, you know. Um, and so I learned, I didn't, I didn't study music, but I, I never studied music, even at school. But I was playing music very early. And I just heard a very early demo of mine somebody had rescued um which is pretty dreadful actually not as bad as i thought it was going to be actually i hadn't <laughs> heard it for what eight not what 70 no 65 years um and, and they got it restored at abbey road which is a great thrill to them but but um <laughs> but the funny thing is that everybody used abbey road um when i was doing music because uh because it was one of the few good studios in London, in the London area. I mean, there was um, Majestic, Olympia, a um, couple of others. And, I mean, there weren't any other studios. If you wanted to record, you recorded at Abbey Road or somewhere else. It, wasn't, it was only given that kind of uh, um, I don't, uh, legendary feel because the Beatles recorded there, but they couldn't really record anywhere else much you know that suited suited George Martin anyway and you got full orchestras recording there you know doing music I often wondered how music was produced and it's produced by working musicians sitting there and playing music uh, it's, it's a horrible horrible job I suppose somebody did have to do it <laughs> well, you, you you've kind of downplayed your your music a bit I mean you've, you've 
you've played with some some Just great groups. You've got <laughs> your your own musical project, right? The the Deep Fix, and I've been trying to figure out exactly how many instruments you play because every time I look, oh, I find another many. one. No, well, there aren't any these days except the harmonica because um, my fingers, I've got very serious neuropathy and I can't i can't play any fretted instruments at all. And the piano doesn't come, I've never been a good piano player anyway. Um, but I use a harmonica. All the stuff I'm doing these days is either singing or, or, or harmonica or whistling. The last, the last track I did, for, or last, so, uh, whatever you call it, um, um, last job I did, um, uh, the guy asked me to whistle one of the one of the pieces. So I, so I whistled. He said he thought the whistling was better than anything else I'd done. So, so there you go. Um, yeah, I can't I can't play anything anymore. I could I suppose I could play the kazoo, which I've played in my time. Um, I could play a wind instrument. No, I couldn't even play some of those because I can't hit the notes. My typing's getting bad for the same reason. I'm going to have to start going over to some sort of audio system, I think, eventually. Um, I think you'll find um, speech-to-text very frustrating. <laughs> yes, I think I will. I agree with you. When I've tried it, it hasn't worked for me. Uh, I still work mostly in longhand anyway, and I can work in longhand fine. Although that's rather hard for other people to read. So, um, And for me, too, I'm cursing myself sometimes when I'm trying to read what I wrote when I'm trying to get it onto onto a computer. Um, and there are now, um, I know, um, systems that, that will take your handwriting and translate it, but I can't imagine what they do with my handwriting and, you know, and, and what I'm writing to that. Hey, if, if they can work with doctors, they can. <laughs> true. Absolutely. That is true. If they can, then, then, then I'm in. Uh, Linda Rose says I should have been a doctor just judging by my handwriting. Yeah. Dad was a doctor. And <laughs> she, 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 um, uh, and I, 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 I fill notebooks. Um, and then, then when I come to look at them, I think, what the hell was that? Um, I, I'm doing my best. I'm, I'm getting better pens these days, slightly better, more pens which work better for me. Um, I, I, I've always used used fountain pens anyway. Um, so I, I uh, but all, all the books were done just straight onto the typewriter. I mean, that's when I, I could type. And it is very frustrating now. I mean, it's horrible from going from, as it were, as Linda said, machine gun like attack to um, to picking things out and having to go back and change it all the time, but uh, but at least I'm still working, so I'm not really really that frustrated. I'm still trying to find a keyboard that might work better. I've got about fifty keyboards, and I haven't found any of them. I've still got my old um, um, ordinary typewriter, and I've still got my Selectric, which I love, the, the the Selectric Two, which was a typewriter that that was just perfect. It, I mean, it had all the, all the right features on it for me. Um, and I've still got the tapes, and I've still got the the, the type heads. <laughs> so I'm actually hoping that that so there'll be a sort of a, all the satellites will fall out of the sky, and I'll have to resort to to uh, to my to my um, Imperial Fifty Sixty, which is which is a brand new model made to wartime standards. Um, it, it, it has a little stamp on it. So it was made between 1940 and 1945, say. So. 
Um, and it's a great typewriter. <laughs> and I, I, I've also looked online, you can get ribbons as well. So I'm all set for the I whole love course. it. Oh, we, and <laughs> some of us in, in the chat are just geeking out over this. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got to ask, in the, in the lead up to this show, there was a, a question that came up quite often. And uh, while, while you are not a gamer yourself, there was, you know, historically there was the whole Dungeons and Dragons mm-hmm. uh, inclusion of the Malnibidean mythos and deities yeah. and demigods and all of that. Uh, Jim Ward, a TSR employee who who was part of that project, has insisted all along that that there there had been permission uh, and that there was some confusion. Could, there was could, more than permission. I was enthusiastic about it. I knew Gary, um, and um, you know, not very well, but he was the guy I. Gary Gygax is the guy I talked to and you know and you came to know. Um and I and like Fritz Leiber, we both the same. We both said, sure, go ahead. That's all we said. Um I mean, these are the days before, as I'm experiencing now, about ten thousand lawyers suddenly <laughs> descend on everything. And and you know, you have to rack your memory for something you wrote in 19, 1925 before you were born, and see what the copyright on that, you know, all that stuff. It it didn't exist in those days. We were just a bunch of enthusiasts, um, and I didn't know anything about the games, but I thought, fine, sounds good. You know, go ahead. Um, I did the same with Chaosium, and this is where it went strange. Um, Charlie Crank then sues or threatens to sue. Gary Gygax over ownership of stuff I'd given them both free. Um, and this happened to Fritz too. Um, oh boy. And, and I just pulled out of it at that point. I thought, I, you know, I can't get into this. I let agents deal with it. And Gary pulled out. He, had, he volunteered to pull out. I mean, I wouldn't have minded if he'd have carried on. Perfectly happy. I mean, what does it what does it mean to me? It's it, you know, it's advertising for my books. I mean, I, I shouldn't I shouldn't get all possessive about it, and uh, and I also like the I like the idea of game playing, uh, role play, role playing games. Um, I, I don't play any games myself. I'm just not a game sort of person. But I love the idea of it. I've written I wrote a very elaborate game f- um, for a company called Origin. Uh, around uh, just before 2000, they did. They had a very successful game, uh, space game. I've forgotten what it, it's called now. It's called something like oh, something like Space Commander or something of that sort. Um, and they were here in Austin. So um, I um, and be- once they knew I'd moved to Austin, uh, they you know they they came to see me and said you know. Right as a game, and I said I've never written a game before. And they said, "Well, you, you know, you're done for computers." I said, "I haven't got a computer," um, and I said, "You know, it's all you know, all this stuff you've been talking about. I'm afraid doesn't mean anything to me." Um, and they said, "You haven't," and there was this quietness, as if you just said something really like, "I love Satan in church," you know, or something like that. And they went very, very quiet. And they said, "Do you mind if we get you one?" <laughs> I said no. I said I don't. You know, I don't know anything about computers. I don't know. You know beyond what a few friends have said, but uh, but you know, go ahead. I don't. I, you know, I don't guarantee I'll be able to work it. But so they came around with this latest at the time um, in in all the gadgetry, 
and put it on my desk and put me in front of it. And they said, well, what do you think? And I said, it's like being given a Rolls Royce. You've never driven a car before. You, you don't know what to think. I mean, you just, um, there's all this stuff. But I picked it up so quickly that they, 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 they said jokingly that, you know, in, in a couple of days I'd be programming. So I really did, I really did take to it. I liked it a lot. Um, and I, I like, I like gaming. The one thing I do like about gaming, particularly, is that it demands structure. That you can't, you can't make a, like you make a bad movie that falls apart. You can't do that with a game. I mean, you know, you know, it's not a game if you do that. Um, although I'm sure there are some bad games out there, but I mean, generally speaking, there is actually there are actually rules, as it were, to gaming. And uh, and so it's very satisfying to write for gaming people because they know there's got to be a logic to it underlying the whole thing. Um, that you don't just sort of start off thinking, oh, I'll write a book. You have to kind of work out, at least some, some of us learn to work out how to structure a book. Um, and I get very frustrated with that. I mean, particularly with bad structuring in movies and, and books. Um, so it was it was a joy to do. I really loved doing it. Then um, a company called, oh, a big company, mostly did sports videos, bought Origin mostly for its, you know, for its platforms and stuff that they developed and cancelled the whole thing. And it was a very, it was a very ambitious, um, uh, we were doing a movie, a book, and a game all together. And uh, I think that's actually where they probably might have started to lose money because they'd already started to do that with another, with their previous uh, Space Commander, if it was called Space Commander. I've got the reels in there somewhere. It's strange. Anyway, sorry. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, and then this other game company um, just scrapped everything that Origin were doing, which, you know, they were doing really interesting stuff, but they, they it wasn't to their taste. They just wanted the the mechanics, as it were. Um, so, so it never came out. The book came out as Silverheart. Um, and uh, I did it with, with, a, with a writer now dead called Storm Constantine. And Storm... Uh, Storm got sick, and she, she was going to do a sequel, but didn't manage to get it done. Um, and is now dead, sadly. Very good writer, highly recommended. Um, uh, she was a goth. I mean, I remember I remember being at a science fiction convention, and she and her friends came in. This was in the nineteen eighties, and uh, and they were all goths, and it was such a breath of fresh air um, to see these these great, you know, pomp goths coming in coming in and brightening everything up or rather darkening everything down but they were all kind of you know they had huge hair and and just just looked magnificent they're all shy as anything of course you know as people often are who wear as it were armor um and but but they were they were very nice people i enjoyed i enjoyed working with storm on that um and again, I've lost lost my thread. What 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 was? I don't want to lose. I don't want to stop. You know, I have to stop. And they're not being people. We're who, just enjoying the story. It's all well, good. You definitely, uh, you definitely, I think, put put to rest any uh, any contrary rumors about the uh, 
the use for, uh, oh, yes. for gaming no, back in the no, day. I was, I was very enthusiastic. So was Fritz. I mean, we both liked the idea a lot. We couldn't see, you know, we were quite happy to have our stuff used. And, you know, there was no, no, not a penny changed hands. Um, and neither did we expect it. Uh, unfortunately, we also didn't know how big all this stuff was going to get. It's like, you know, a lot of, you know, there, there are things now where people complain that, um, for instance, Walter Simonson's hammer in, uh, hammer in the comics became Stormbreaker. And people say, oh, Walter's, you know, ripping you off. But Walter was, they were writing comics for a relatively small audience. And it was an in-joke. It wasn't really intending to rip me off or rip anybody off. It was just an in-joke. Walter loved those stories, you know. Sort of like and, Arkham uh, Asylum and Batman. Sorry? Sort of like Arkham Asylum and Batman, the Lovecraft nod. Uh, yes, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and and the, um, so, you know, it, <laughs> I doubt if the comic sold more than what, by that time, about 50,000 apiece. Um, I don't know. We had a fan who was watching the show who commented that he loved your wallpaper. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's good wallpaper. I mean, it's not paper. It's it's all fabric. It's, uh, you know, um, Linda brought it in in suitcases um, in several trips from, from, from London to Austin. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. Hey, Mike, what's your cat's name? What? Oh, the cat. Sorry, I thought you... Um, what are, Lizzie. Lizzie. Yeah, all our cats are called, I realize they're all called after royals. Um, not deliberately. Um, <laughs> call, uh, our cats were, I mean, we're down to Lizzie now. Um, she's, she's, she, we thought she was a, a hybrid of some sort. We got her as a rescue, all our cats, and uh, from a Siamese rescue. So she did look a little bit like a Siamese, but not really. She's got a stubby tail um, that's, you know, just mm. natural. So we kept, you know, we thought she was a cross between maybe a Manx or some sort of bobtail and a, and a Siamese. And it turns out she's a rare breed or rare-ish breed called the Mekon bobtail. And she fitted exactly all the right, you know, <laughs> notes for, for this for this Mekon bobtail. So we got ourselves a, a rare thoroughbred cat, although without her papers, I must say. <laughs> I'll ask a question, Mike. One of the fans had, and he wanted to know which piece of fiction you are the most proud of and also which you would like to be remembered most for. Well, I think it's probably got to be Mother London, which is not a fantasy novel. It's just a kind of love letter to London. Um, A lot of people like that. And also um, the Piat books, which are a, a labor of, a labor of love, I suppose. Um, it took me a long time. It's about a million words to it, um, which starts with Byzantium endures. Um, there are fantastic elements in them because I, I deliberately use genre elements when, when I need them, but they're essentially non-fantasy books. The fantasy books, um, I think Warhound was pretty pretty successful but it's it's elric that i really still you know still have the soft spot for i mean it really is elric um i don't know exactly why never will i suppose by now um but uh i still identify with him i still you know i can still as i said i still think of new new stories 
Um, I'd like to have an older Elric, you know, an, an Elric of my age, but of course you can't have that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like asking for an elderly Jesus, I suppose, you know, and, um, not to be whatever it is you are when you say things like Sacrilegious. that. Sacrilegious. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm just afraid of not having answered everybody's question, but if, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll maybe do another time. And we're sort of back. My apologies from uh, from from uh, post hurricane Florida. Uh, we ran into some difficulties there, and uh, unfortunately, we're about out of time. But uh, wanted to see Mike if you had any uh, any final thoughts for our, our viewers today. Well, I mean, keep on doing great games. That's all I, you know, playing them. I, I, I've just got the new Elric, the French Elric uh, figures. I love little figures. I'm, I collect toy soldiers. And really, I only I only asked to see a set because I wanted the little fig figures, um, <laughs> and uh, you know all this sort of elaborate stuff that goes with them—a a set of cards, you know, all the usual stuff—and um, I can't remember. Anyway, that uh, so uh, you know I'm uh, I don't game myself, but I, I am a great a great games fan, if you know what I mean. And I, I, I love I've always loved the idea of, of people playing role playing games. I think it I help I think it helps socialize people and you know at the time when we're sort of facing a lot of stuff that doesn't socialize us. Well we are I would say that gamers are certainly uh, fans of yours as well. Uh, well without without a doubt. Nice. Well I hope they enjoy the new one anyway. Um and uh, I'm sure they'll let me know if they don't. Uh, do you know when in December that's releasing? Um no I don't. Um, I've only seen the arc. I haven't had any copies yet. Um, Hopefully, in time for your birthday. Well, I hope so. It'd be nice. <laughs> well, I mean, they it, better be, otherwise, you know, they've only got a week to sell it before Christmas. <laughs> I'm not sure Santa will be able to get to everybody before. Well, uh, before I lose signal again, then we should probably uh, thank you. We can uh, do this again in the future. I hope so. Everybody that gets up nice. the reading room will be covering Roger Zelazny's A Night in Lonesome October. Oh, good for good for so, that. Uh, Mark? Yeah, I, 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 I think I speak for all of us. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for taking the time. You, it's oh, been wonderful pleasure. to chat with you. And certainly you're you're one of my favorite authors from this uh, genre and a big influence on you know me when I was a, a young reader as well. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you very much. I, 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 enjoy, you know, I enjoy talking, as you can tell. So um, I'd be glad to talking i'm sorry if i didn't get everybody's questions too but maybe we can do that another time too thank you thank you so much and and thank you to your lovely wife linda for uh, for helping us build <laughs> this setup okay and, thank uh, you and thanks to elena behind the scenes yeah dealing with yes. all, all not, this. not to mention lizzie who's been who's come back and is uh, <laughs> wanting to know what's going on so right, thank, thank you to all the, the people who, who got on the 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 Twitch and uh, asked questions. Appreciate it and and take care, everyone. Yep. Everyone have a good bye night. Bye. You have been listening to the Sanctum Secorum podcast.
The Sanctum Secorum Podcast has been the production of Sanctum Media. Copyright 2000.